The Dugout CEO Podcast is on the air. I'm Phil Van Horn, baseball lifer and fan of the Dugout CEO. Each week, Casey Cavell goes around the horn with baseball superstars, Hall of Fame coaches, and business leaders who've used baseball experience to win the game of life. Now batting, Casey Cavell. Dugout Nation, welcome to the Dugout CEO Podcast. Pumped about today's episode. Today, we are joined by Luke Sawyer. He is a dad of four, been married for 12 years. He's passionate about marriage, fatherhood, and men stepping into the gap to protect and provide for their families. He's a husband, father, follower of Jesus, director of Baseball Chapel, where he helps ballplayers experience abundant life. Today, we're going to dig into really tough topics that are not often talked about nearly as much as they should be. We're going to hit on the difference between transparency and vulnerability and share real struggles that men face by being a leader both at home and at work. And Luke, he brings a faith perspective to things, but no matter if you're a person of faith or not, I am certain this message will impact you. Luke, welcome to the Dugout CEO. Casey, thanks for having me, brother. Excited to be here. Yeah, likewise. We've had several talks in the past on life and faith and family and business and fatherhood now, and you're probably in the big leagues as far as a father. I'm still in like rookie ball. I got two under two. We're trying to figure it out over here. You're a few years ahead of me, so I'm excited to dive into fatherhood and man stuff here in a little bit. But before that, like baseball, Luke, you're a baseball guy. Tell me about how you got into the game. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I don't know how far ahead of uh, you on the fatherhood journey we are. We've just screwed up a lot more stuff along the way. Um, sure. But yeah, no. So uh, yeah, we've got four kids, my wife, Abby. Um, so kids now are 10. Let's see. We just went through a lot of birthdays, 10, 8, 5, and 3. Uh, so three boys and a girl um, have been blessed to be around the game for a while. My my baseball background is not nearly as exciting as most of the guys that, that you're talking to on here. Um, got a chance to play through college, probably played baseball a whole lot longer than I should have, um, but was blessed to play through college. Uh, got done there, was was kind of wrestling through what that next step looked like, ended up transitioning into coaching, um, coached collegiately for a number of years. Um, and then for some reason over the course of our lives, God has blessed us with the opportunity to continue to disciple baseball guys. Um, so now, you know, 11 years, what removed from our college graduation, I've been able to stay in the game, mainly discipling guys and walking guys through what it looks like to know and follow Jesus inside the game. That's awesome. So you were a player. Now you're working with players. What are some of the things that you like to uh, work with players on, help players with? And are these current professional players or college players or what type of players do you enjoy spending your time with? Yeah, no, I mean, I've worked with players all over the map um, from, you know, professional players down through middle school players. Um, honestly, it's, it's in some ways you're speaking the same language, right? Um, the things I love about working inside of the game, you know, the, the game of baseball is rabbinical, um, if you know what I mean. Like, if you look at, you know, football or other sports, you got guys like Bill Belichick, right? A genius, never played the game of football before in his life. Um, but, you know, he's coaching in the NFL, walking that out. It's very rare that you see guys within the game of baseball that weren't former players. Um, so even as you look at the field, you realize the guys in the first and third base coaching boxes are wearing the same things as the guys who are standing on first and third base, because it kind of puts forward, hey, we've, we've walked in your shoes before you've walked in them. Um, and I think it's a really cool picture of discipleship as, as we get this idea, especially as men, of walking younger men through what it looks like to know and follow Jesus, because we've walked in your shoes before you've walked in them. 
So not everybody listening to this, Luke, is going to be a Christian or a Jesus person sure. or whatever. So like when you use the word discipleship, can you simplify that for me in just the common sense of the word? Yeah, I think the easiest way to think about it is mentorship, right? Spiritual mentorship um, of walking with people through the experiences that we've had. Um, you know, for, for me as a believer, walking with people through how to read the Bible. What does the Bible actually say? What does it mean? How does that apply to all the nuts and bolts of my life, whether it happens to be fatherhood, whatever happens to be the game of baseball? How do I walk that out and, and kind of walking guys through the ability to see how that intersects in every area of their lives? Got it. So the majority of people listening to this, they're they're a coach, they're a leader, they're a business owner, they're leading other people. Maybe they're married, maybe they're fathers. So the people that you're working through, uh, helping them be better husbands, per se, what are some of the things that you're helping men with? Because it's a tough job. Uh, I've had a lot of jobs. I've accomplished a lot in my life, but being a husband's really tough. Um, and it's probably really tough being married to me as well. I'm a special guy, as we all are, right? But like, <laughs> what does that mean like, to be a great husband? What are some of the things that you work on men with on how to be better um, you know, how to have better marriages? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think if, if you were to really make it simple, it's intentionality. I, I think as men, we, we function in such a compartmentalized life, life, right? You've got your work box and you've got your, your, you know, finance box and you have this box and this box. And oftentimes our family kind of takes a, a lower spot on the uh, priority list. And so it's what does it look like to be intentional with our wives, with our kids, you know, in all those moments of the mundane where, you know, how do we have those intentional conversations of not losing the time, you know, and, and really gaining every moment that we have? I think intentionality is really key. And why is it hard? You know, men, some of us are intentional with hey, our workout routine or we're intentional with what we eat or we're intentional with when we go to bed and when we wake up. But Oftentimes, we're not as intentional in our marriages, or some are, but they're maybe not intentional in other aspects of their lives. Speaking about marriages, why is it hard for men to be so intentional? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, th I think there's a lot of different reasons it's hard for men to be intentional. Um, and I was actually talking with a friend about this this week. I think one of the reasons it's difficult for men to be intentional when it comes to marriage and family is that the feedback loop is slower. Right. In, in exercise, I see the results as I put in the time. Right. Or in work, I, I get the praise for doing a good job or the promotion or whatever, ha whatever it happens to be with our family. Oftentimes we don't get that feedback the way that we might desire it. So it's easy to fall prey to, you know, looking at everything else in life to give me that feedback and that validation that I so desperately desire as a man because that feedback's slower when it comes to our family. You know, you've got two kids under two. You you might be a super intentional dad, and up to this point, your kid has not told told you, "Man, Dad, you are awesome." You don't hear that, um, and so that feedback I think is key for men and just our validation of of who we are as men and what it means. Yeah, you don't get like that dopamine hit often, do you? Right. Yep. Gosh, and exactly. us men, we're us men, we're always going after that short, quick thing to make us feel good to make. Wow, I, I never really thought about it like that. So how do you reprogram yourself? Because it feels like like in business, there's leading indicators and there's lagging indicators. There's leading indicators. It's like the stuff that you're doing today, it's going to impact 30 days from now or 90 days from now versus sure. 
right? I'm just wondering, like, how do you reframe your mind to make sure you are intentional, knowing that you're not going to get the pat on the back or, hey, you're doing a great job today as a husband or a dad? How, how do you battle through it when you're not getting those attaboys, you're doing a great job? Yeah, it's got to play the long game. Um, I think in, in fatherhood, in marriage, in, in a lot of ways, it's similar to coaching, right? You're, you've got, you might have a player at the collegiate level who's done something for so long, right? They have that muscle memory built and you're making those small adjustments, but you're not seeing the results immediately, right? It's the process of walking to the results. And I think, you know, I've said in coaching often, we never see the results of how we are as a coach until our college guys, our, our you know, young pro guys are married and husbands and fathers. And, and that's where we see the impact of our coaching. I think it's the same way in fatherhood and with marriage. Am I willing to sit in taking the long game, knowing that the immediate results might not happen because I'm looking at the long-term results? Josh, because I'm what? Gosh, seven, eight years now married. I'm 38. I'm going to be married, God willing, till I'm 80, 90 years old, until whenever my time is like, that's a long time. And when you're yep. saying play the long game, I'm just like, okay, well, what does that actually mean now? I'm going to be married to this woman the rest of my life. What does that mean? Like, okay, how do I implement that on a daily basis? In my opinion, it's consistent learning. Now, I don't have all the answers, right? I've only been married 12 years. Um, but I know in the 12 years of marriage that we've had, my wife has changed over the years. You know, even we just did a little love, love language test a couple of weeks ago and where she would say her love languages are now versus that first year of marriage, completely different stages in life change. We've got four kids under 10. It's chaos. Um, so it's a consistent learning of our kids, of our wives, understanding how they operate and how we can meet them in that and, and really walk faithfully and, and intentionally in pursuing, you know, especially with our wives, pursuing her heart, pursuing how she receives love. Because oftentimes it's the most difficult way for me to give it, right? Because it's the opposite of the way that I'm wired. So it's consistently learning that and walking that process. What are those love languages? There's, do you know them off the top of your head? Because there's that book that was oh, written on them, right? Um, yes. So five love uh, I think languages. Quality time, acts of service, uh, physical touch, verbal affirmation, um, gifts. Those are the five. So – I remember reading that book. So basically this book kind of came out and it's like, all right, there's five love languages. Which one are you? And it's how do you accept love? And then how do you give love? Is that the kind of the concept of that? Exactly. And, and oftentimes when we look at our spouses and you guys might be like this, Casey, my, I, I am physical touch words of affirmation. And those, those are my love languages. That's how I want my wife to love me. For her, it's, it's quality time and acts of service. Well, because I receive love via physical touch and words of affirmation, those are the easiest things for me to give. My life is busy. It's chaotic. There's a ton of things going on. Quality time is the hardest. But I can't love her the way that I feel loved. I have to figure out how she feels loved and then walk with her in that. And that means intentionality with building in that time and really setting that aside to say, I'm, I'm going to fight for this, even though naturally it seems like it's going against the way that I would want to feel loved. So good. I mine's acts of service so that's how i receive love and my wife's is quality time and physical touch so we have a meeting once a week we have our own little family hmm. meeting where we kind of 
start at the beginning and share what's working and going great and celebrate the wins. Then we kind of jump into it of our calendars and our schedules and what needs to happen. And my favorite part of that meeting is, all right, honey, these are all the things that we need to do. All right, you do these five things. I'll do these five things. And by the time we get together next week, life will be good. And I know if we just (laughs) jump into that, but we don't do words of affirmation and talk about all the cool things and plan our next trip or we never get there. So I think that's really interesting Hmm. is figuring out from your spouse or whoever you're leading. Cause I'm imagining if you're, if you got players or you got people, it's how are they getting love and making sure we're doing that. Um, I think that's yep. really, that's really challenging and it changes over time, I guess, too. You have kids or kids move out of the house. Your love languages might even change over time. Is that fair? Oh yeah. I think that's fair. I've seen it happen at least with my wife. I don't know how much it's happened with myself. I think the biggest challenge then is taking all of our kids and saying, I got four kids who are very different. How do I love each one of them individually in the way they need to be loved? That's the biggest challenge for me right now. Life's easy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially marriage and fatherhood, the most difficult things. But I, I think it's harder, or I think life is harder than it needs to be sometimes because we're not intentional about, all right, well, what are the questions that we need to be asking ourselves? Am I being a great husband? Am I being a great dad? And Connie and I, we, I asked her that question. How am I doing? Yep. How am I really doing? How can I be better? How do we, with our spouses, like almost invite that kind of conversation of, hey, honey, are you happy? How are you doing? How do you invite that to make sure everybody is kind of working together well? Yeah, that's that's a great point, but I think you hit the nail on the head, right? You're having the conversation. I, I think a lot of men don't want to have the conversation because they're scared of what the answer might be because they know they haven't been doing it, and so then they shy away from actually asking the question. So I think it's got to start there in recognizing in vulnerability, man, there are areas I'm missing the boat here. So, hey, let me talk to my wife. She sees it through a whole different lens. How can she help grow me into the husband and the father that I'm supposed to be? Because she looks at me from a completely different lens than I might look at myself. Because there are guys listening to this right now that probably know, you know what? I'm doing a crappy job being a husband. Or, you know what? I'm not being the dad that my kids need. What advice do you give there? Because you're right. It's why would I want to ask my wife, hey, honey, how am I doing? If I know I'm struggling. Because you're juggling a lot of balls as a guy, right? You're running a business, you have a job, right? You're trying to be a leader at your church or try to have friends or family or health. Like the guys that are struggling, like what advice do you have there? Like where do you even go to start if you're like, you know what, I am dropping the ball, whether it's being a husband or being a dad, where do you even start? Yeah, I think you got to start with a really hard introspective look at yourself. You know, I have a, I have a good friend who's a, a hospice nurse. And he he walks with people through end of life stuff. And one of the things that he hears over and over and over again is the regret that people have at the end doesn't have anything to do with business, doesn't have anything to do with money. It's a regret that they didn't spend the time with their family that they could have and wanted to have. Um, And so I think it's a consistent, introspective look and then taking the low hanging fruit. I had a good friend who told me a couple of years ago, never leave the passenger seat empty. And that stuck with me. You know, when I have to run to Publix to go pick up something because we need something for dinner, what kid's closest to the door that I can throw in the car with me? Because it's just those little moments of, hey, we got 20 minutes in the car by yourself. I'm going to Publix anyways. How do I invite them into that? 
and just take that low hanging fruit and invite them into our lives. That's so good. And looking at the things that we as men chase, why are we chasing those things? Whether it's the next business or the next promotion or the next accomplishment. Like I think a lot of guys, it's almost like a good excuse hey, I need to start this business or I need to grow this business or I need to get this promotion because it's going to allow me to provide for my family what my family's going mm-hmm. to need. When ultimately what they really need isn't much. They need a roof over their head, they need four walls and they need your time and attention. And I'm just wondering why do guys get in that rat race of trying to do more, more and more where they're being less, less and less present at home? Yeah. Well, and I think it's good intentions, right? I mean, it's good intentions in wanting to provide for the family. We all want to provide for the family. And it's one of our God-given roles. It's our responsibility. It's my responsibility to provide for the family. That I think oftentimes with men, we've narrowed down provision to only seeing it financially. And my, my kids need my provision. My wife needs my provision in so many ways that is not just economic. You know, it's it's emotional provision. It's spiritual provision. It's it's all of those things that go into how am I providing holistically for my family more than just am I providing a paycheck because they're missing out on so many opportunities we have really for long-term lasting generational impact because we've only viewed it economically. And I think I, that's where our mind goes. I mean, just the other day, it was uh, sure when we were recording this, it was recently 4th of July weekend. And I'm seeing a lot of my friends are at this beach or this beach and this beach. And I'm like, man, that's great. Can we do that? Yeah, I think so. But it's like, do you really need to do that? Or can you just go down to the local park and just hang out and have a picnic, right? You know, I'm just wondering, does the world tell us we need more, but it's just a lie and we really need more time and more consistency, you know, being present with those that we have? Well, I know from my experience, looking back on my childhood, none of those things when it comes to the nicer or better or this, that, and the other are any of the things that stand out to me in any of my childhood memories. It was time that we spent together. And I think social media plays into it too. I think there's this idea of, of some kind of ideal world that I'm supposed to be running after and having because I see it so commonly from everybody else when it is sacrificial. I mean, family sacrificial, fatherhood sacrificial. A lot of times that means I'm going to sacrifice having these nicer things. I, I will never drive a new car. I'm okay with that. You know, I will never live in a mansion. I'm okay with that because I would much rather prioritize intentionally engaging my kids and putting us in situations where we can do that together rather than having this, that, or the other that my kids probably will never remember. Yeah. And you know, my whole thing, and I love what you're saying here, you're looking for dads who are present, engaged, and fighting for hope for future generations. So dads that are present and engaged, what does that actually look like? Do you got any like real-life examples of maybe it's the one that was present versus not present? Do you have an example first, and it doesn't need to be a specific person, of, but what does like not being present actually look like, you think, and how does that hurt? Yeah. Oh, man, unfortunately, I can give you way more examples of that than the opposite, right? And, you know, I, I spent a couple years of my career working with an organization called Man Up and Go. Um, it was kind of the only little bit of time in my career where I actually wasn't doing anything within the game of baseball. 
and I specifically ran all of our fatherhood initiatives in East Africa, Latin America. So it's traveling all the time, working with men through walking into that protect and provide role. Um, so helping them establish business, you know, microfinance loans, entrepreneurship, and in, mainly in situations where it's a dollar a day or less. But what I saw was that abdication of the role is global, right? That abdication of responsibility, running away from my responsibility, and it's predominantly rooted in shame. And I think so many men feel shame in either I can't provide enough, so I'm going to run away, right, that you see in the poverty context, or the question you asked earlier, I'm ashamed to ask my wife how I'm actually doing because I don't want to hear the answer. Now, I think men live in a deep sense of shame often. Um, and so I think that that shame drives men to not engage intentionally at home. Um, and I think the flip side is being willing to be tired. The men that I know who are intentionally engaging their families are consciously tired and sacrificing. You know, we're in a stage of life right now where we have a three-year-old that takes a while to go to bed, and we have a 10-year-old, almost 11-year-old that wants to have really intense conversations. And so that means I'm up at 5.15 every day, and we're having really intense conversations most nights till about 11. Um, and so it's sitting in both of those and saying, I have to be present for both, at, and the sacrifice is my own sleep. Are we consistently willing to sacrifice? And the present dads are the ones that are consistently willing to sacrifice because they're, whether it comes to provision or finances or even sleep and whatever it happens to be, can we sacrificially be tired because we're giving everything of ourselves to our families? I don't know if that makes sense the way that I'm saying that. Sure does. I mean, I'm, I'm walking through it. Uh, youngish dad with a younger family and trying to figure this out for the first time. I feel like I'm a totally different person than I was three or four years ago. And sure. I'm trying to figure out how do I be not all things to all people. Cause that's, that's hard. That leaves you tired. I'm just trying to do mm -hmm. less stuff, but be more present with the people that I have, like less relationships, less to do's to do's less clients, but just be better with the ones that I currently have. Cause what I realized was I was spreading myself so thin. I wasn't able to really be mm -hmm. present with anybody. And over the last few years, sure. I've been able to get rid of, I guess, good opportunities to say, yes to really great opportunities but my most important mm -hmm. opportunity is my wife and my kids because i know if that's not right nothing else is right so right. i think that's really good well and that ability to say no is is huge i remember that my first year of coaching i was coaching at colorado christian university we just had our oldest um i was in grad school and i i mean i was going to school i was working full-time trying to provide i was coaching at the school, our youngest had, or our oldest had health issues, was in the hospital, oxygen feeding tubes. And I remember that year thinking, I, I have to learn to say no, or life is just going to spiral out of control. They, I'm, they're never going to get what they need from me. And that was the point that I, I started to step back from coaching and say, I don't know. There are so many men who can do this really well. I don't know that I'm one of them. Um, so that ability to say no is huge, Casey. Yeah, church pastor here in Atlanta, Andy Stanley, he wrote in his book, you're more likely to die of indigestion of too many opportunities than starvation and not enough. And I thought that was so 100%. good in life. And when you reach a certain level of success, always like more opportunities come your way. And 
I was guilty of that, sold the business. All right, well, now I have all these new different people coming to me, asking me for things. And I wanted to be somebody that could help everybody that came my way. But I, what I realized was it doesn't really have to involve my time. I could connect them to somebody else. I could give them another resource. Like I don't have to be it because I have to make sure Casey's okay and I have to make sure Connie and my family's okay. And that felt selfish at the time, but ultimately it's the best thing you can do is take care of yourself. I want to I want to go back, Luke, to what you were saying about shame. You know, I just Googled it to figure out what the actual definition, you know, by the Oxford here is. And it says a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by consciousness, consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. So. So we all have it, guys, girls, it doesn't matter. But like. What does that mean? And that causes people to run away and just like disengage. Talk to me about that. Yeah, it's a great question. I think many men have a fear of being found out because deep down we don't feel that we're sufficient and we're scared that somebody is going to realize that. And I think in, in my world, and I know many listening here might not be believers, I think that's something that pushes me to my faith because my faith tells me I am insufficient, that I will never be sufficient in and of myself, and Jesus was. And that's why I desperately need him. Um, and I think many men, because of that fear of being found out, I can escape into all these different areas because the people that know me the closest, my wife and my kids, are the ones that are ultimately have the ability to out me in my insufficiency. Wow. Um, I'm just now thinking throughout my life, like, where did I feel those things? Because I still today feel not good enough or I could be doing better. But is that a... What do you do with that? Is that a normal feeling for people? And if so, like, what do you do with that information? I think we need to be radically vulnerable. As, as men, we're not vulnerable. Uh, someone told me once the difference between transparency and vulnerability is if I have a shield in front of my body and I allow you to see my eyes, that's transparency. If I take the shield away so that you can kill me, that's vulnerability. And I think the reality is our wives are the ones that can kill us because we put, that's our closest human interaction. And so the ability to step into that vulnerability and say, I'm, I'm okay being insufficient because we're going to walk this thing together. Because in all of my work world, I can put on a facade. You and I can sit here and we can have this podcast and you can think I'm good, great, wonderful. And then I can go do something at home that says the opposite. They know it. You don't. So are we willing to be vulnerable? And I think we desperately need men in our lives who we're also vulnerable with, who have the ability to kill us. And most of us don't have that. We live isolated and without community. So where do you even go to start? that kind of conversation. Cause I'm just, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the listener right now. Hey, I feel some shame in my life. I'm not good enough. I feel like I'm not prepared. I'm not winning, whether it's at home or it's at work or overall, I feel overwhelmed. I'm tired. Like, where do you even go to start? Like, who do you talk to? Where do you go to start 
working through that shame and working through that healing to realize like, I'm not in this alone. Other people are feeling this way and I want to be better. I think we need to look for people who have walked the path before us. Going back to that rabbinical idea of baseball, right? Who has walked the path before you? When we, we lived overseas for a while in the Dominican Republic and there was a guy down there who, who worked, um, who'd been down there longer than I've been alive. His name is Bill Stuthers. Um, Bill had three grown kids. He had already, they were all functioning adults who all lived internationally and his wife had, you know, grown up internationally. And I looked at Bill um, and I said, I, I need you to speak into my life because you've walked what I'm walking 30 years in front of me. So I think it takes an intentional effort on our side to seek those people out. And I don't know who that is for you individually, but look at your sphere. You know, what is your network and who are some of the people that you can look at and say, you've already done this and you've done this well. I want to learn from you because what we find when we're radically vulnerable is that we're all the same. We're all going through the same stuff. And I think with that shame, that shame tells me I'm the only one dealing with it. Everybody else is better. But when we start to build that vulnerability and have those intentional conversations with people who have been through it before us, we realize that we, we've all been through the same thing. There is no shame because we're all walking the same race and we've all screwed it up. I think that's really good. And that's just a really simple way to look at it is find other people that you admire, both that are winning maybe in their careers and at home and just say, hey, yep. this is where I'm at. I would love to buy you a cup of coffee or this is where I'm at. I'm yep. struggling with something. Can I run this by you? And maybe pick two or three people and see and then just ask the question, hey, would you mentor me or would you sit down and listen to me? Where would you point me? Because odds are if they've made it, they didn't make it on their own. They might have been going through that 20 years ago or 30 years ago. So I think that's I think that's really good. Well, what's funny is so many men do that, but they only do that in business. So many men go out and look for the guys who have already done it in front of us in business. But how many of us are actually seeking those guys out who have done it in front of us in family? And so I think whether it's business, whether it's family, whether it's spiritually, whatever it happens to be, we need those guys around us who have walked in front of us. That's great. Well, what else are you spending your time on these days? And uh, talk to me about that. Yeah, um, coaching Little League Baseball. That's that's where my, my baseball coaching world is now. Um, so we uh, we just finished up my oldest all-star season. He lost in sectionals. Uh, we, we live here in Clearwater, Florida. So, um, you know, Florida Little League Baseball means we start in January and we go up until like a week ago. Um, so that's given us a little bit of space as a family to, to step back from this. We This is the first year we've had three kids on three different teams. Uh, so trying to figure out what that looks like for my wife and I. Um, but yeah, and then in, in my work world, uh, mentoring, uh, discipling, a lot of all players. You know, we're we're mid-season right now, and living down here in the Tampa area means we have a lot of baseball, whether it's minor league, major league. Um, you know, a lot of guys live here in the off season, so plenty of opportunities to walk with guys here. That's good. So that's what I get to spend my time doing. Yeah. Who do you, uh, as a little league manager, is there a, a coach that you admire that you looked up to that you kind of get your uh, inner inner coaching wisdom from a, a big league manager back in the day that you really liked? Not a big league manager back in the day. I will say, you know, positively and negatively introduced in this, probably not the way you wanted to segue that question. Um, but there is a guy that I look at that I actually grew up playing for. Uh, his name is Steve Bridge. Um, Steve was probably one of the most disciplined human beings I'd ever been around. 
um, and called us even at, you know, 10, 11, 12 to high levels of discipline. Um, and I, I loved him for it. I felt like he was a man's man that really put that forward. Um, on the flip side, uh, Steve, Steve ended up committing suicide um, when I was 14. And probably one of the most impactful things for me at a very young age of seeing both sides of the shame and the discipline of looking at a man and saying, I see both of these things, some that I want to emulate and some that I don't. Um, so for me, even as I carry out coaching and really a drive for me with masculinity and, and walking men through what does it mean to be resolved men was because of Steve. So that is, and you were how old when this was happening? I played for him probably until I was 12-ish, um, and he passed when I was, I believe, 14 or 15. So how aware of you, I mean, what was going on there? What, and how did that impact you, and then what did you take from that situation to help encourage and inspire others? I watched the impact it had on his family. Um, I watched the impact it had on his son, um, the impact it had on the bigger community. And also realized he got to a point where he felt helpless, which I think many men do, but failed to realize how incredible of a community he had around him had he reached out to anybody. And that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about men being vulnerable and being in community, because we don't realize the resources that we have at our disposal if we're actually willing to press into them. Yeah, I mean, I just think about sitting in a dugout of life, right? You get your 25 closest friends and you sit in a dugout together. Somebody there is pretty close to jumping off the edge, right? Somebody yep. there is at the end. And if you're that person today where you're okay, reach out to that person that you might be thinking about. It could have been a groomsman in your wedding. You could have been a groomsman in theirs, right? They could have been a college buddy, a high school buddy, somebody that you used to work with. Like reach out to those people. And my hope too is that if you're that person that is there that is struggling, somebody will reach out to you, but they might not. You need to go and reach out and ask for help because um, I think the enemy in this world tries to isolate us and make us feel like there is no hope. And, um, and that does get to people. But uh, I think asking for help, calling it out, letting people know you struggle is huge. And I mean, I appreciate what you're doing, Luke, because it's so needed in the space and just the wisdom that you gave us today and sharing that last story is a lot to think about and process, but um, man, it's, it's just so good and keep up the good work. And how would somebody go ahead and get in contact with you and get to know more about what you guys are doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Facebook, I'm on fairly regularly. It's just Luke Sawyer. I, I believe you and I are friends on there. Um, and then either at Twitter or Instagram, it's just at Luke underscore a underscore Sawyer. Um, would love to, to hear from anybody who's who's interested in pursuing masculinity and fatherhood and love learning from a bigger community of men who are all pursuing the same thing. This is great, Luke. Well, I appreciate it. A lot to think about here. And uh, this has been great. So thanks so much for being a guest on the Dugout CEO. Casey, thanks for having me, brother. Dugout Nation, wow, that was deep. Uh, loved our time with Luke Sawyer. Some thought-provoking questions and items to take action on for sure. And my encouragement is that you reach out to me, someone you know, you admire, you look up to, if you're not okay. And it's okay not to be okay. Um, and if you're good, someone's on your heart, reach out to them and let them know that you care. 
You just never know who's just one pitch away from calling it quits. Here are the big three takeaways that I learned today from Luke. Shame. A painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by wrong or foolish behavior. I, more than most, can relate. I've made some dumb decisions in my life, and the result was feeling not good enough, a failure, or worthless. Thankfully, I wasn't afraid to call myself out, share what's going on in my life, and take my shield down. Remember, transparency, it's keeping a shield up and protecting myself. But vulnerability, it's taking the shield down so others can hurt me. And when I put my shield down and I was open and honest with those that I loved, with my shortcomings and my struggles, I was able to tackle them, move on, and be the man that my family needed. No matter where you are, be willing to be vulnerable with others. Number two, be intentional. Have a game plan, not only for business and how to show up like in your business, but how to show up at home for your wife, for your kids. Be present with those you lead. Ask yourself and them, what do they need from me? Learn their love languages, uh, whether it's quality time, whether it's act of service, words of affirmation, physical touch, or receiving gifts. We live in this world where words of affirmation, there's never enough. There's typically eight negative messages versus every one positive message. So figure out those that you lead and those that you love, what their love language is, and serve them. And be intentional with the way that you lead, serve, and love others. And number three, ask the question, how am I doing? How can I be better for you? If you are leading someone, leading your marriage or somebody at work, seek open and honest feedback from others on how you're doing in your leadership role. Humble yourself and you will be surprised by what you find. Thank you for joining us once more for another episode of The Dugout CEO. We want to get you the tips you need to become an MVP of what you do. Sign up for our Friday Focus newsletter and you'll receive a valuable tip each Friday morning to help you build the business and life you want. You can sign up by going to CaseyCavell.com or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get notification on our next episode. And one way you can help us book more great guests like this is to please leave us a rating and honest review in the Apple or Spotify podcasting app.